Hey guys, welcome into another edition of the Reed Foster Podcast. Got a great show for you here today, talking to my good buddy Taylor Wilson about the Champions League semifinal round, the NFL draft, and Kanye's antics. Is he lost his mind? All that and more coming up on the Reed Foster Podcast. Yeah, yesterday we had our second of the first two matches of Champions League. Real Madrid came back to defeat Bayern Munich 2-1 in Munich. Um... And then prior to that, Liverpool got up five to nothing, and ended up they conceded a couple late goals to Roma five two to keep hope alive. Um, would you say that? Do you think both of these are over? You know, it's weird because everyone keeps talking about, it, and they were talking about it throughout this whole, like even when Liverpool was up four nil. Um, in that first leg about the comeback against Barca and I, as if like this is just sort of like Roma's strategy this is just like what they had planned all along it's like oh no right. we'll go down we'll go down a ton early and then they did kind of claw their way back into this thing but um, I, you know I, you gotta figure in, in the Liverpool one we'll start there if they didn't really let Manchester City back into the game at all in the second leg of that aggregate mm-hmm it's not going to happen with Roma, right? Right. Well, I just don't. I just can't see Liverpool doing the strategy where, like, Barcelona for the entire second leg was just like, we're going to run the clock out. It's just not the Liverpool way. It, no, Klopp is not going to. He's going to be aggressive. That's. I know that's a very lame analysis. You got to be aggressive. Uh, but they're going to be going for goals in the second leg of it too. No, I can't. I can't see Roma coming back. I mean, it takes one Liverpool goal in that second leg and this thing's over, and it wouldn't shock me if Liverpool scores another three or four. I mean, that's just the way they're playing right now. Um, that, I mean, this Liverpool thing, it's weird because there's a chance that after this whole season, like, they're going to walk away with no silverware, right? Like, that's the right. crazy thing about this. It's like Chelsea could win a trophy this season uh, in the FA Cup, and Liverpool could win nothing. Right, which is which is super weird, but at the same time, like everything in the soccer world is all about Liverpool right now. Like Liverpool is the biggest story in soccer. Mohamed Salah is the biggest story in soccer, and they may not even win anything. So I, I you know, for their sake, I, I kind of hope that they do, you know, at least follow through and get to the final and get themselves a chance. Um, this Salah thing right now, though, like his his game in that first leg was ridiculous we've known about Salah for a while um this season you know this certainly isn't the first time we've talked about him but he's moved into like the best player in the world conversation now right like you know and I I think people get this kind of discussion confused because like like the resident best player in the world right now is Lionel Messi and it's going to remain Lionel Messi for the time being until something changes yeah, but in the same way that LeBron is our resident best player in the NBA, doesn't mean that for stretches of time someone overtakes him. 2015, 2016, Steph Curry was the best player in the NBA. I think you could argue for the year 2018, Anthony Davis exactly. has been the best player in the NBA. But we know LeBron's the guy, and I'm thinking that Salah. I don't know that anyone's played better than him. Ronaldo obviously had his struggles early on. He's better again. But Ronaldo still has kind of been hot and cold this year. Messi's been great, but Salah's been on another level, completely changing things for Liverpool. Yeah, and and that whole front three. I mean, Sadio Mane, you know, kind of uh, 
made a name for himself only for missing those chances in the first half in this game, but he's had an unreal season. Firmino's developed. It's been super weird because the storyline for Liverpool the last few years has been, oh, they get one superstar and then they sell him. So that was true with Suarez and then they sold him. Uh, and then that was true with Coutinho. Like, Coutinho developed into this world-class playmaker. Everyone kept talking about, oh, like, he's going to end up going to one of the Spanish giants. That ended up happening. Mm-hmm. But he leaves, and every single attacking player on this team gets even better. And I, I guess, you know, on one hand, that makes sense, right? Like, it, it makes sense that a guy like Sadio Mane is going to get more confidence in goal scoring when he gets more opportunities to score right. goals. Um, but... We're especially seeing, you would think that losing one of the world's best playmakers would affect the players that are scoring goals in that team. And that hasn't happened. Like, Mane's gotten better in every way. Roberto Firmino now is the best player that he's been in his career afterwards, after, you know, beginning of the season when people were saying, like, I don't really know what his role is on this Liverpool team. We now know what his role is, which is kind of to take that Coutinho playmaker spot. And Salah has become one of the three best players in the world in the world. So it's one of these things like, and you, you know, NBA is a good comparison for a lot of this stuff um, where, you know, you see that a lot where all the traffic is going through one guy mm-hmm. and then once said guy leaves, another guy can shine. Right. Right. And, you know, the Oladipo situation. Exactly. Right now, where he, where he finally goes and, and has the chance to be the guy and everyone's like, Whoa, like I did not know Victor Oladipo had that. Well, look with who, with who he was playing with before in Russell Westbrook. Um, So, like, I I think part of that has happened here with Liverpool. They have this crazy attack-minded manager that kind of just has unleashed uh, the team and let them go wild. And, I, you know, I don't see this slowing down anytime soon in the Champions League. The weirdest thing has to be, you wonder if, if they didn't have Coutinho the whole season if this team could have kept pace with Manchester City in, in the Prem. I don't know if that's a crazy uh, thing to posit. You know, I don't know about that. I mean, Man City is still... I mean, aren't they on record? Aren't they, like, on pace to, like, break the record for most points in a season? They're going to be one of the top three. Um, they were. I mean, they, the thing, the problem is, like, you know, they had a couple of those games where they slowed down. It's still a ridiculously good City season. Um, but, you know, like, we look at this Manchester United team, for example, and Liverpool's probably going to finish behind them. But right now, like if you if you put Liverpool and United head to head in let's say let's put them in the Champions League for example, you think anyone's picking Man United? This Liverpool team is much better than a lot of these other teams that have been in the conversation to maybe kind of contend with City. Now, okay, maybe Manchester City is better built for a thirty-eight game season just because they're deeper right. than Liverpool is, um, which they certainly are, but. You know, there are three players on this Liverpool team right now that are, are definitely in that conversation with a few of the really good attacking players in the city. And, and you saw it happen with, you know, with how they knocked them out in the Champions League. So, yeah, I mean, maybe it's crazy that they could have made a real run of the Prem. But you do wonder, like, hey, if they're playing this well without Coutinho for half the season, what could they have done with all the season? Right. I, I, it's just difficult. Like, right now, they're 19 points behind City, and they've played one more match. That... I'm just not seeing that them closing that kind of gap. But it does raise the question that even though City's having this incredible season, if maybe we enter next year, assuming there isn't too big of a shakeup in the rosters, and you know, with being a World Cup summer, maybe there won't be quite as much. I could see the argument being that Liverpool becomes the favorite next year instead of Manchester City. 
when even like a month ago, I think we would have said that City would be hands down the favorite. Yeah, I mean, the narrative shifting, right? Because we not only City being the favorite for, for next year, like we were talking about Man City, like, you know, no one ever winning the Premier League again. Right, right. Man City winning the next five. And they very well still could just because they're so good right now and they still have the money to get better and better if they've even one problem at one position. Right. Um, but, yeah, this Liverpool team looking really good for the future. Now, we have to remember what Liverpool is, um, how Fenway Sports Group has operated with this team in the past. You know, mm-hmm. mentioned Luis Suarez. Um, we, we've now seen it happen with Coutinho. When this team grooms stars, not dissimilar to Tottenham or other teams that are kind of right below the, the, the top echelon big spending clubs in, in England, mm-hmm. um, it wouldn't be shocking if they sell Mohamed Salah in one year. I, it, it, would, it wouldn't be shocking, but I do have to wonder at a certain point, because you notice, I mean, Tottenham, they've held on to Harry Kane longer than any of us have imagined they would. And I'm wondering if Liverpool just thinks from a financial perspective, as much money as they could draw in the transfer market for Salah, I mean, how much do you think he could get? I mean, this guy is 25 years old, arguably playing better than anyone else in the world. I mean... Would you say 150 million is out of the question for a transfer fee? Oh no, I think more. I, he he would he would he would crush any record that's ever been out there. 150 million, 200 million. I don't name whatever price, and that's what Salah is going to go for. Um, um, but I think at the same time, you know, you could so you can get like let's say you get 200 million. That's a lot of money, but. I do think that with Salah, you have a chance to really make a whole lot of money selling jerseys, building your brand worldwide. I mean, what's interesting about Salah versus some of these other players that have been great, you know, you look at a Luis Suarez, he's from South America, Cristiano Ronaldo from Portugal. All these play, all these players are from relatively hotbeds for soccer. Salah's from Egypt. I mean, you have a chance with Salah to sort of ingratiate yourself as the Premier League club for the Middle East. And, yeah, and definitely a good point there. I mean, that's the thing with Salah. Like, um, if you asked uh, a soccer fan or a sports fan, like, before Salah, like, yo, name me name me a notable Arab soccer player. They're probably naming Mares. Like, he was probably the, the first big name to kind of to, to mm-hmm. get in that scene, at least in recent years. Um, but... Now, like, potentially the dude who's going to win the Ballon d'Or, which there's still plenty of time to see what happens with that the rest of the year, um, is going to be from Egypt. And and you're absolutely right. Like, this is a new hotbed. You, you touch on the African continent. You touch on the Arab world. You touch on the Middle East. Like, all of these regions that could certainly use um, a superstar to represent them now have that. And you're absolutely right. Like, Liverpool could become the club of all of those regions in the world that have previously been whatever they are, Man United, Chelsea, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just not entirely sure that that's the way that these owners think. Right, right. Like, like it, I'm not saying it's the wrong way to think. I, I think it's a good perspective. But when you see these dollar – or not dollar signs, but pound signs, euro signs, whatever, man, you, you pull the trigger a lot of times with these players – and if they did it with Suarez, like, yeah, okay, Suarez is South American, but he's also from Uruguay. Like, he's not he's not Brazilian. 
Right. You know what I mean? Like, he, there's some of that going on with Suarez, too. And he was also a really unique player, this type of dude that you can market around, just like a superstar in every sense. Right. Um, in, in a lot of ways, also kind of more of a, a star personality than Salah is. Right. And they had no problem selling him. They said, peace. Right. And I... I guess like, it's, it's a lot easier to, to tell someone to tell someone else to turn down $200 million than if it's right in front of you. I'd have a hard time turning down $200 million if someone offered me as well. Um, and, I mean, they're, they're, I think there's a pretty, there's a, probably a pretty solid argument that, especially if you believe in Jurgen Klopp's system, that he can take that $200 million and invest it across the team and make you much better than you ever could be with Salah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think no fan is going to buy that argument. Right, like if you do sell him, it's gonna be just another like Liverpool head in head in the hand situation. Um, mm-hmm. Like, man, like why are we this club? Why can't we be a buying club? But the reality is, you know, now maybe this is changing with the kind of money that Man City has. But the Premier League, despite all of the money, despite all of the power clubs, has always sort of been a, a, a feeder league to the two Spanish giants. Right. As far as like as far as the superstars are concerned. I mean the conversation always around you mentioned Harry Kane is always Harry Kane, Real Madrid, Real Madrid. Hasn't happened yet. He's only twenty four. Maybe in a year or two it still does happen. Um, you know, even Chelsea, like a club that won the Champions League in twenty twelve, often is considered like right behind those sort of Spanish giants, Bayern Munich, kind of top level of world football in terms right. of the brand, the money and all that. Even Chelsea, the conversation is always, man, Eden Hazard to Spain. Right. So, well, and also, yeah. even within the Premier League, Man City is kind of, the, their financial status is elevated to the point where they're kind of separating themselves from the rest of the big boys in the Premier League. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I don't know what will happen. I mean, I'm sure Liverpool fans are thrilled that we're basically uh, just raining on their parade with, with Salah future transfer talk. But... Um, that is kind of the reality of world footy at this point. So, you know, enjoy them while you have them. We'll see what happens. Right. Well, and I, you know, I think it's cool. Like Liverpool's in a position where, you know, you, as much as a great player like Suarez, like he still dominates at Barcelona and does incredible things. But whenever they're at Liverpool, like Salah and Suarez, they have a chance to really dominate because the offense, like at that point, they are the offense. I mean, Liverpool's got a great team, but Salah at this point is the offense. And it's a lot of fun to watch. And you have the chance to bring potentially a club to places that they haven't been in a long time. Liverpool hasn't won the Champions League since 2005. You know, if you pull that off, like, you're the guy. It's something that you can't can't really get at one of those Spanish giants that has, like, just, you know, a plethora of riches and is always winning things. Right, right. Uh, You're just, you'd just be the, the latest person to bring Barcelona a La Liga title. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you think the other game, Bayern Real Madrid? That one, Bayern got up one nothing, then Madrid came back, uh, finished with a two one victory. Um, I personally, I don't think it's over. I thought Bayern, I thought Bayern controlled the game actually pretty well. They they let out some outlets against Madrid, and that's the problem. That's why Madrid's so lethal. Because if you slip up once against them, when you have Ronaldo and you have someone like Asensio running down the pitch or Marcelo, they could take that one mistake and turn it into a goal like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the weird thing is this Real team, 
it's not that great of a reality team when you compare it to some of these past Madrid Madrid sides. Even in this game, like CR, who's you know probably the best player ever, um, was rated a six point seven. Like very pedestrian performance in this first leg from him. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. Like Madrid puts home their chances, and ultimately you have to if you're Bayern Munich at home in that first leg, you have to score more than a goal. And they had plenty of chances to do it. Um, you know, definitely created for themselves, I think stuck to their game plan, mm-hmm. but you've got to be scoring three or four goals in that first leg, and it just didn't happen. So I, to me, ultimately, yeah, Bayern were far and away, actually, for me, the better team in that first leg despite mm-hmm. losing it, but it often doesn't matter with Real. This has been the case in a lot of these knockout games in the Champions League this year, is like, look, yeah, they weren't like totally the better team, but they put home their chances, um, Marcelo, by the way, even maybe more so than CR, like at least right there in the CR conversation, has been their most important player through this Champions League run. I don't even think it's it's close. Um, Marcelo, to me, how much how much do you think he would attract on the open market? Because I just feel like I I almost don't know that there's any other player in the world quite like him um, with his ability to take the ball on his side of the pitch, and he's so fast. To get to the other side, and yet, not only is he that fast, but he has the ability to do a perfectly placed cross for someone on the other side of the pitch to set up a scoring situation. It's crazy. He has like a, a Fabregas vision as far as these like long, over the top balls that he can find someone uh, at the mm-hmm. top of the of the pitch. Um, but he's also a really, really good defender. Like that's the thing. People are like, "Oh, Marcelo is is this like like wing back? He should play in the midfield." But no. Fullback is a perfect position for him. He is right. he is an even better version of what a lot of people wanted David Alaba to be a couple of years ago when they were mm-hmm. making this case for him at Austria in the Euros. They're like, look, no, he's a fullback uh, for Bayern, but trust me, like he does everything, and that's kind of what Marcelo is, but even better. You know, he's 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 Pogba in the sense that he can go box to box. He's Fabregas in the sense that he can send these balls in over the top. Um, he's Ozil in the sense that he can find spaces and be a playmaker up top as well. He's kind of everything, and uh, he, that's a ridiculous type of player to have, especially at the left-back position, which we've seen this transition happen mm-hmm. in soccer over the past decade where the fullback spots have kind of low-key become the most important positions on the field if you have the right guy at them. Right. Um, which in the past it was like kind of your central midfield player or someone more mm-hmm. in, the, in the middle of the pitch. But now, because speed is so important, you have a guy like Marcelo who can get up and down, right? But can also pass from the back. You don't know how to defend against it. No, right? like it's 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 the same idea of a big man stretching the floor and shooting threes in basketball. He's a defender and a true defender. He's not like one of these guys who lines up the defense and just gets forward and right. is there for 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 shits and giggles. No, he's a true defender um, who can do it all, which is terrifying. Right. Well, it almost just whenever you have a left back that can come up and be a legitimate threat on offense, it uh, what do you call it? it? It almost just creates like a natural power play every single time. Like you're almost exactly. always going to have a numbers advantage. And if you're Real Madrid, if you already have Cristiano Ronaldo and like Gareth Bale and Asensio out there, like you don't need a you don't need to have the numbers advantage to begin with. But once you do, it becomes straight up unfair. Yeah, and it, it allows a game, like I mentioned, when CR is not at his best, when Isco gets subbed off isn't at his best, um, when some of these guys that you need an attack to be sort of controlling the game, when they're not stepping up, no problem. Marcelo, man of the match, he'll take care of it for you, which is a huge uh, asset to have, something that currently Bayern doesn't have. 
Um, I, you know, I think at times they become a little bit too reliant on either like Mueller or Lewandowski scoring those goals. Mm-hmm. Um, despite the fact they have so many playmakers, so many dudes who have a really keen eye for like where the pass goes and when it goes, but they need to have all their attacking players sort of set in that uh, in that final third for them to get it going, um, which they did most of the game in the first leg, and they just couldn't put home their chances. So, to me, I, I, I you know this thing is not over by any means when you have a team like Bayern that can score in bunches like they can. Um, definitely not over, but. I would feel pretty good if I'm a Real fan. At this point, would you say that... Um, do you think at, the, at this point, Liverpool is the favorite to win it all? Wow. Uh, <laughs> I'd be interested to see what the what the gamblers say on that. Well, let's see. Um, yeah, let's pull this. Oh, ha, 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 ha. You would think... You would think Madrid, right? Just, right? just because of the of the the public's attention to Cristiano Ronaldo and just them being Real Madrid, their experience in this competition, them now having a lead going back home um, as opposed to Liverpool having a lead going away. Let's see if we can find any odds on this. Champions um, League or right, winner? Okay, it's right now Madrid is even. Then Liverpool plus one thirty five, Bayern plus six hundred, and then Roma's plus three thousand. So I don't think they're buying Roma too much. Yeah, not buying Roma. Um, hey, look, Bayern plus six hundred, a little intriguing. Yeah, I, I'm, no, I, I'm a little I, tempted. But they're they're pretty much telling you like they at the very least are pretty sure the final is going to be Madrid Liverpool. Right. Which is a really cool final, CR versus Salah. Uh, powers of European footy like every year in Real so Liverpool hasn't won this since 2005 and has often not been in the Champions League much less been able to make a run right Um, so yeah cool storyline and also like as much as maybe American broadcasters don't want to admit it a Premier League team making a deep run in the Champions League is always a good thing for US audiences oh it's it's huge um because, I mean, like, I, I, I watch a lot more soccer than the average American fan, but I still, like, most of my watching is concentrated to the Premier League teams because that's, like, most of my friends, like, the teams they follow are Premier League teams. So, like, I, yeah. just, I know the, the players more. Absolutely. So, very good for U.S. audiences. And then on the other side, like, Real Madrid's just good for audiences in general. When you have Cristiano Ronaldo and, like, in South America, for example, the entire continent Usually it's either like, oh, it's Real or Barca. Like, who, like even if you have a team, like you, you have some stake in that rivalry, even being an ocean away. Right. Um, so that's the kind of influence like both of those teams have in the in the Latin world, um, but particularly Real. Like, there's so much Real Madrid love. Um, so that's a good final. Like, it, yeah. on both sides. Like, it's it's hard to look at that from a marketing perspective or whatever, and, and not be pleased. And also like. From a soccer perspective, that's a really fun game as well. Right, just high scoring. Uh, that could be like a five to four kind of game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, how awesome would that be? That would be uh, crazy. Be- before we move on from soccer, quickly want to touch on Arsene Wenger. Uh, he's he's retiring from Arsenal. Is that the official, or is he like resigning? Uh, wink, wink, yeah, nudge, put a, nudge. Put whatever kind of bow you want on it. Yeah. Yeah, he, his ass got fired. Walking away. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Wenger out. The the Wenger out thing has finally come to fruition. Um, it's gonna be weird, man, because like the the strongest meme 
I think in maybe like an in international sports at this point, it's a huge part of pop culture is this banger out thing. Like you go to like, you know, a, a um, insert rally here, whatever your political affiliations are, whatever your mm-hmm. beliefs, you're going, you're seeing a banger out sign. Yeah. No question. You're going to college game day, you're seeing a banger out sign. Right. You know what I mean? Like you're going, you're going to the bowling alley on a random Tuesday night, you might see a banger out bumper sticker. You know? <laughs> Like this, this is, and this is not true just in North London. This is true all over the world. Um, to where, like, I don't know what we're gonna do with ourselves now that Wenger actually is going to be out. Like, Wenger in? Does that become a movement? Uh, yeah. Arsenal struggles under the new guy in a year. Right. Well, is he gonna pull a Mike Francesa? That's what I was wondering. Right. He's well, gonna. Especially if, 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 well, no, because so Francesa's hours are getting cut down a little bit, so he would have to come back like just for. Um, I don't know, just for domestic matches. Right, yeah. Uh, what, I, guess, I, guess, I guess there's an Arsenal joke there, which is that's all of them, but no, they'll be in the Europa League. Uh, what if Wenger uh, comes back as an assistant coach? <laughs> oh that would God. be awesome. That would be awesome. Uh, well, here's the other thing like with Arsenal, right? So, like, don't get... And I'm sure Arsenal fans know this. They don't need me to, like, talk down to them from atop my Chelsea mountain, like, don't get too excited, Arsenal. They know this, but at the end of the day, Stan Kroenke's still pulling the strings. Mm-hmm. As long as that's the case, as I'm sure all of our, our mid and eastern Missouri listeners know as well, like, good luck, man. Right. Well, especially... Well, especially because, like, it seems like the Rams are his priority right now. Right! Right, well, now now the Rams are kicking it into gear. He's got this big stadium coming in. Yeah, I would agree. But also, like, you forget, for who, name whichever American sports team is his priority now. It's it's never been Arsenal. I don't even mean that necessarily in the dollars and cents because I'm sure it's been it's made him a good amount of money over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really just don't think he knows enough about soccer, the Premier League, or the ins and outs to make any kind of real decision and when you have that sort of disconnect between your money and your management mm-hmm. it's usually tough to go out there and consistently make splashy signings like Arsenal fans get surprised they say oh Kroenke you're a billionaire why aren't you spending you know part of it is he doesn't know who to spend on right well and don't they don't they have someone like running it though yeah of course but but like it's it's a lot tougher to make the case to go out and hey Arsene uh, buy I don't know, name, uh, you know, buy Felipe, Felipe Coutinho from Liverpool, uh, you know, one of the five best players who could change everything for our club. Okay, what's the price? $150 million? No thanks. He doesn't know the merits of, like, why spending that kind of money would actually be potentially a good thing. Right. Um, for the future, right? So, I, you know, <laughs> yes, moving on from Arsene Wenger is something that should have happened for years. It's good that it's happening for them now. Um, but the reality of this league, and especially like with where City is at, Chelsea's going to keep spending. Man United's on the rise. Liverpool's on the rise. Spurs is playing the best soccer they've ever played, but you know, still a Spurs. Um, our Arsenal's fallen way behind the rest of the pack. Like Not just in the, in the sense of where the table is this season, because they're going to finish sixth, maybe seventh if Burnley does catch them. Burnley's got this, baby. I like where your head's at. But, like, not just in the scope of that table, but just in the scope of, of, of everything, the bigger picture in England, they haven't been relevant since Thierry Henry. 
They haven't been relevant in two decades. And it's going to take a lot. And at this point, more than just one signing. But it's going to take consistent transfer windows of making the right plays. Kind of like, you know, we talk about, not that, the, not that Arsenal is at Cleveland Browns level, right. but in terms of mismanagement, like, for Cleveland, and we'll get to the NFL draft, but, like, it's going to take more than one draft, even when you have the top overall pick and the fourth pick. Right. You well, know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take consistent years of making the right decisions, and that's the same thing with Arsenal. Well, could you say that with Wenger, they sort of, they, the club just happened to catch lightning in a bottle? I mean, I'm not, I mean, obviously, probably no one's ever going to go undefeated in Premier League again. Like, that was obviously just very fluky. But the whole idea that, like, he showed up and he was the only guy who was getting French players. And he was the only guy who had his players not eating French fries and fucking beer at halftime. Like, all that stuff. I don't know that anyone else, like, with Arsenal could come in and produce a similar result. Like, do you think it's fair... That based on that, that we shouldn't really expect Arsenal to be Premier League title contenders, maybe ever again. Wow, I mean, ever again is a strong is a strong statement. But just looking at like where the money is in this league, and the fact that even a club like Manchester United has struggled to sort of get back into the into their their winning ways, it's possible. Um, I, I mean, looking back, so 0304 was the last time they won this title. That was their third in a string of sort of like late 90s, early 2000s success. Um, and a lot of that had to do with the fact they had, at the time, maybe the best player in the world, Thierry Henry, all these French players, like you say. They have this shiny, massive stadium. They have money. I, I They could get back into it, but honestly, any like future assessment I have on any team in the Premier League, really has it really hinges on and this is the same like like you said when i you know tried making the case that liverpool could could have maybe been a title contender this year and things gone differently really anything we say about any other team hinges on manchester city falling off at some point right and like do i see arsenal being that team that sort of bridges the gap with them anytime soon in the next decade probably not so you say anytime ever like you know that's a little extreme but anytime soon it's really hard to see that. And that's and, and that's also not even saying the fact that Arsenal might win the Europa League this year. Right. I mean, Atletico's going to be a difficult draw for them. But, I mean, especially with, like, Wenger leaving, like, this is this is the season, the Europa League. Yeah. And, and they could, despite, like, you know, you mentioned Burnley. Like, Burnley, probably not going to catch him. But Arsenal could have a scenario where they fall out of a Europa League place in the Premier League table. And they get to the Champions League next season by winning the Europa. Or they could fall behind Burnley, get to the Europa League final, take a three nothing lead into halftime, and then lose. And I get like nothing. Where is that? The, That's uh, more of a treat. Yeah. What do you call it? Like the um, what do you call it? Like Gene Wilder at the end of what do you call it? Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka. Nothing. You get nothing. You lose. <laughs> So that's that's the farewell you want for our scene, huh? Yeah, I, ours as someone, like I feel like amongst all like the young people, young Americans that got into soccer post like 2010, Arsenal easily the most hated team. Yeah, which which 
Wonka kid was that Ram made it? Was it the was it the Chocolate River? Kid? No, it was Charlie. That was it was at the very Charlie end. Charlie. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. remember, okay, he so. thought he won, but then like he and Grandpa fucked up. They were touching the bubbles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bubble scene, right? So, so wow. So in this, uh, our our scene becomes Charlie. Yeah. Um, and so you know, uh, the world's sweetheart who who ultimately. Um, you know, can't break through against the rough exterior of, uh, or the rough interior of the, of the Premier League. Right. Well, you know, he grew up in poverty because his owner, Stan Kroenke. Exactly. Um, what I think, like, before we move on, like, just one last point, I think even beyond the financial things, I think what's difficult for Arsenal is that the Premier League, the top five clubs have such incredible managers that I just don't know who Arsenal can go out and get that can be on that level of a Jurgen Klopp, of a Pep Guardia, of a Jose Mourinho, of a even an Antonio Conte. Although he's he probably going to be out, Conte out, you think? Yeah. Um, yeah. Conte at Arsenal. Hey, uh, that that might be a good fit. Um, Pochettino at, at Tottenham. Like Those are at least four of the five clubs ahead of Arsenal have unbelievable managers at probably four of the top 15 managers in the world. Yeah, but keep in mind also, like, you know, a guy like Pochettino at one point was an up-and-comer at Southampton. Um, so maybe that's the type of manager they go out and get. They go out and get the, the, the Shaka Smart of, of coaches right now. A guy like Thomas Tuchel, maybe. Um, Who's the guy at Napoli? That's, that's been – say that again? Who's the guy at Napoli? Uh, what is his name again? I know Pochettino's got a huge boner for him. Ah, yeah, Mauricio Sarri. Mauricio Sarri. Mauricio Sarri. Also, his wiki profile picture just looks, like, so Italian. Ooh, now I gotta look him up. I mean, just, he's, he's just making the motions. It's like... (laughs) <laughs> God, he's making like an aggressive like you know in another context could be kind of like an alt-right uh, salute but oh yeah this dude's old as shit oh my god yeah <laughs> yeah 59 years old what the well, hey, fuck if you, if you want another arsene wenger right he's from naples though so maybe he won't leave yeah once once in naples always in naples right well <laughs> Um, all right, you want you want to go NFL draft or NBA playoffs? Ooh, let's go. Uh, let's go NFL draft. Ooh, okay. In, ge- in general, how much do you pay attention to the draft year in year out? Typically, I would say less than average. Typically, though, this year is kind of fun to me. Why? Um, well, anytime you have just a ton of quarterbacks, it becomes more fun because there's a lot more dudes who the casual fan can have a take about that might be just a completely ridiculous opinion, but at least they've watched a lot of these guys right? to the point where they can be like, Oh, like I, I, I feel some type of way one way or, the, or, or another. Um, now, obviously that all becomes muddled with Josh app, which, which makes this super fun because we're basically all trusting you know, anyone who's watched Wyoming football and then a bunch of executives and scouts who say, look, no, trust me, Josh Allen is the guy. 
Um, whereas the casual fan responds with, man, like, I, that, that just seems so foreign to me that I'm going to hate on that immediately. And by the way, I'm a Josh Allen, I'm a hater of the Josh Allen hype as well. Um, but you, you muddy the waters with a guy like that, which makes this all kinds of fun because no one has any idea what's going to happen. And then we're all just kind of talking out of our ass. Right. It, it seems like this year more than ever with all the quarterbacks, it's not just that we have all these different quarterbacks, but we have all the different ones to fit into the little stereotypes we like to talk about. Yes. Josh Allen, he's got the he's got the biggest arm you've ever seen. He's gonna throw it over the mountain like Uncle Kip. He's <laughs> you got Lamar Jackson, the the shifty athletic quarterback. Should he switch positions? I don't know, man. He's such a weapon. You've got to use him. You got Baker Mayfield. He's short, but he's accurate. He's got a cocky attitude. He sticks the flag. He grabs his nuts. Then you got Josh Rosen. Huge fucking asshole. He, oh my god, he's a free thinker. What the fuck is wrong with this guy? And then Darnold, like, Darnold's got tiny hands. Yeah, Dar- Darnold ends up being the most, like, neutral of them all. Which, which of course, that means he's going first overall. Right. Um, right. I just, like, anytime we talk about Darnold, because everyone te- keeps bringing up the hands. And, like, I there's something to the hand size, because, like, you, you know, Darnold, like, fumbled a bunch this year. Um, because of, like, the hand size, but, like, I can only think of that Burger King commercial where the guy is, like, wanting to eat the burger, but he can't because he's got these tiny hands. <laughs> yeah. I are, are they as small as that? We always become obsessed with hand size this time of year. Right. Um, which, you know, grown men talking about other grown men's hand sizes is, like, one of my favorite, or not even grown men, like, kids' hand sizes is one of my favorite things in the world. Um, what, uh, are, are they as small as we, as, as everyone's making it out to be or not? Or is this just something I, to talk about? I think like, I want to say it's like 9.7 inches or some shit is the threshold and he's at like 9.5 or 9.6. So I'm like really self-conscious. I want to get the, the ruler out and see what my hands are like. Yeah. You ever like seen someone who's like really tall and you don't realize it and they're sitting down and like you see their hands from afar and you're like, that person looks like a fucking alien with those hands. Yeah, you're like, what's good? Yeah. Uh, um, I I have never, are you, so it seems like by default people are pushing Darnold into this, into this top pick now, um, which is like a day of thing because I feel like a week ago that wasn't the case. Right. Are you sold on that or? Um, I don't know. I, I could really see any of the four guys besides Josh Allen being the best quarterback in this class. I think that, uh, I think there's a good reason to like pretty much all of them because with Darnold, he's got the mobility and like he can move within the pocket really well. Um, he's got that poise. I understand why a lot of people think he should be number one overall, but at the same time, like whenever I watch Josh Rosen, he's got the height. He's got, all the he's got the size, the arm strength you'd want. He's always seems super accurate whenever he's throwing, but not even as accurate as Baker Mayfield, who like like Pro Football Focus broke it down. It's like Baker Mayfield is like most accurate at literally every level of the field, like deep, intermediate, short. He is the most accurate. He's most accurate with a clean pocket. He was the most accurate with a muddy pocket. The only question it seems like is his height. Um, and then Lamar Jackson, obviously he's got such an incredible playmaking ability that if he can stay healthy and refine his footwork a little bit, he has a chance to be Michael Vick 
plus the ability to throw. I mean, that's the thing. He is a, I, love, I love Lamar Jackson's arm, too. I, he's got to have the highest ceiling of any of these guys. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, get the, I get the idea that a dude like Sam Darnold or, um, or, I, or I guess Josh Rosen would be sort of the safer pick. I don't, what I don't understand is how we've suddenly talked ourselves into this narrative that Josh Allen is somehow a safe pick. Like, that's the one thing I don't get. Like, if you're going to be in the Allen camp, that's fine. But at least sell it to me as, like, man, this is, this is, this is gambling. Like, this is, this is rolling the dice, seeing what happens. And maybe, you know, the fact that he's six foot whatever will, will, will pan out. Uh, and the fact he has a good arm and played well in the senior bowl or whatever. Played well against Boise State in one game two years ago. I don't know. Like, what is the case on Josh Allen? I, I don't – I mean, he's got – he might legitimately have the strongest arm we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, I, I'll say that. Like, watching someone throw 80 yards is pretty unbelievable. Um, but you go, like, look at his stats. Like, it's not just that they weren't good. But, like, they weren't even good relative, like, to the Mountain West. And, exactly. and like, I keep hearing the arguments like, well, you know, Josh Allen's uh, talent. He didn't have a whole lot of talent around him. you tell me that, like, San Diego State was just so talented that Josh Allen couldn't overcome it. And I, yeah, that's the thing. And Not a lot of talent around you means you're also playing against like someone's, you know, someone's going to like their fifth choice school, like to play defensive back also. Um, yeah. And well, it's like, if he's, I would maybe understand it. If this were a class where there weren't any other good quarterbacks, but we have four other guys that could be viewed as franchise quarterbacks potentially. I, I just don't get what he's doing there. It's like if you had like it's like we have the big hip hop festivals, like we have the hottest rappers out there. And it's like you got Kanye, you got Jay Z, you got Drake, you got Kendrick, and then you also have Lil Pump. <laughs> like what what's Lil Pump doing here? But that's the thing. Lil Pump also has his stance. Like he, that's the thing with, with Josh Allen. Like there's going to be people. This is the world we live in now. We talked about this last time on the podcast. Like everyone's got their niche. There is this Josh Allen camp. Like every time I hop on Twitter and I'm thinking, oh, like we're in consensus on this, right? Like let's hate on Josh Allen. Woo! The mob. And then all of a sudden, this other mob comes out of nowhere, and they're like, nah, man, nah. You watch the film? You watch the film? Oh yeah. This dude's legit. And I'm like, man, like I'll admit I haven't watched enough film on this guy, but like I don't, I don't want that to be true. Also, like, what are we doing with these tweets? Are we gonna, are we, are we accepting that this is gonna play a factor or no? Okay, so actually, um, I I woke up and saw that there was some tweets. What what happened there? What so this is like a this is kind of similar to a Dante DiVincenzo. Like someone went back into his Twitter past and found him. I, I haven't read through all of them. I saw a couple where it seemed like he was quoting some songs with with some N words. Ah, um, back back in some tweets like I I want to say like um, like early high school day like similar Don, Dante DiVincenzo situation. Oh, um, although you know, so like there there are a few ways to look at this. Like first of all, like like that ain't cool. Right. Second off, like this came out what yesterday or today. Obviously, you know we live in this world. If you have a Twitter account. And you are a public figure, and you haven't gone down yet. Someone's going to go back to your old tweets and try to find something, right? Um, and you know, I think part of this is like when you're in middle school and high school, 
regardless of whether or not you should do it, which you shouldn't, like, these are messed up tweets. Like, a lot of times you do think, like, you're just talking with your boys. And it's like, no, like, right. you are, like, these are, this is a public forum. Right. That actually you know, happened to me um, yesterday. I, I hopped on Facebook and I saw, like, someone commented on a status I made, like, in high school. Yeah. And it was like, Twitter's like, you got to take this post down. It's, uh, and then I looked at it and, like, this person was trying to call me out for being racist. Because I like I quoted Pulp Fiction. Gotcha. Whenever um, what do you call it? Whenever Tarantino's actually in it, his infamous quote. I'm not gonna repeat it here. And it was like obviously like like in retrospect, like I should I you know it was just my friends that were on the Facebook at that time. I shouldn't have posted that, but like it takes two seconds to Google that to know that like I didn't actually like I my thoughts weren't about like having a sign outside my house that said dead people's storage. Yeah, there's context. Right. And, like, with those, like, if he's tweeting out, like, some rap lyrics or some shit, I don't really, I don't put a whole lot of stock into that. Now, would you say that that's better or worse than when Laramie Tunsil, the night of the draft, someone posted on Instagram the picture of him with the gas mask on? The, the What's weird is, like, what do I think is morally worse? It's, it's dropping in bombs on Twitter. But as far as, like, what – so, like, that image – that image lives forever in the minds of everyone. Every time someone brings up Tunsil, like, that image pops up in your mind, right? Especially for an offensive lineman. Exactly. You have no other way to brand yourself now as an offensive lineman. That is your branding, right? Um, that is your marketing. Um, and now I, there's another side of this, which is, like – which is more sketchy that someone kind of like fished out and, and I guess you could say leaked, which I would say also is the Tunsil thing because that was not something intended to be for the public forum. Right. That was something intended, unless it was on a Snapchat story. I can't remember if it was just individual snaps or what it was, but um, like, it's a little bit different putting it out there on Twitter, whether or not you're, you're a kid or not. So um, like, you know, we're moving forward to a point where like half of the states in this country are going to have legal weed. Right. But it's just, it's just like, you know, don't, don't, don't have the gas mask pit, man. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's never going to be a good look. Um, and it's going to live, live on forever. Right. Well, you you put on the gas mask, like you look like you're an addict. Like you look like you're doing serious drugs. Um, and that's a good point about it getting leaked out because like clearly if this stuff got out now, it's because someone wanted it to be released. You know, someone was talking about, like, this happened to, like, Joy Reid. I guess she's an MSNBC contributor or something. Yep. Um, someone dug up some, like, homophobic post she wrote, like, 10 years ago or some shit. And they released it yesterday. And it's just, like, clearly, like, someone at MSNBC wants her out. Like, they want an excuse to fire her. That, that's the only possible reason that someone would bother to look back that long ago. Yeah, exactly. This is a little bit different than the <clears throat> the Dante thing, right? Where, like, the day after the national championship, he goes off, and then everyone starts talking about tweets he made when he was 15 years old. <clears throat> right. This is a little different because Dante had just won the national title, was going to the offseason. Like, eh, people are going to forget about it. Right. And he didn't have much to lose at that point in time. Like, this is the day before we're talking about, like, differences in terms of, of large sums of money. Um, your future as far as where you're going to play, all this kind of stuff. Um, so the timing, I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty clear what someone's trying to do here with that timing. Now, I, I do wonder, though, 
like, you know, Josh Allen is already such a polarizing quarterback. I can't imagine anyone, like, in the in the draft war room that didn't already have their minds set. Like, if we're talking about right. Cleveland, if Cleveland was already going to take Josh Allen, <clears throat> if that was the plan, which it seems like we're hearing now is probably not the plan, but who knows. Right. Um, if that was the plan, like, I, this probably isn't going to change that, right? No, I don't think so. And you bring up that point about him being divisive, and that's what's particularly interesting. I don't think it's as interesting if any of the other quarterbacks have the tweets brought up. But remember, the whole point of contention, this um, the the lamest debate we've had in the pre-draft coverage, whatever, has been Lamar Jackson against Josh Allen. And there have been undeniable racial undertones to all of that. And now it comes out that Josh Allen was using the N-word um, in tweets like years ago, like that just adds a whole other element to this. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I mean, the fact that <clears throat> almost guarantee, like whether or not Josh Allen goes first, Josh Allen has been expected at least, you know, if we're going to trust what mock drafts are, um, pretty much widely expected to go ahead of Lamar Jackson. Right. At this point, um, seems to be the common, you know, thought process on that. Which you're right. Like this, this definitely puts that in a in a different viewpoint. I had always looked at this more as like the the ultimate like one v one battle in this um, among the quarterbacks is the, the battle of the Joshes, man. Josh Allen and Josh Rosen, just because they seem like you know you talk about Rosen being like this. Oh, he already he talks like a 35 year old Harvard professor or whatever. Um, yeah. And then you got Josh Allen, who's from like rural, like central California, like kind of like, you know, people don't think of California as farm country, but like a lot of California is farm country. Yeah. You know, and then he goes to Wyoming and all this. So you have like the culture war going on there too, like um, between, you know, between the two Joshes. Right. Um, it's weird, like, how much like that's been debated with Rosen. Like, I feel like there has been almost no discussion about him as a football player. Right. And it's all been. Can you have someone who thinks for himself as your quarterback? I don't know about that. <laughs> right. Um, well, it's more fun. It's more fun that way because you can use the sound bite. You can use like the interviews that he's put out there. I don't know who he was talking to the other day, um, where he was he was saying some kind of hot takey things um, as far as just like a quarterback having an opinion, which people suddenly don't want. Um, but like that's I don't know. Like that doesn't seem. This seems like a relatively new thing, and maybe it's just because of, like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, people being tired of wokeness, especially, like, these traditional, like, uh, executive types in the NFL, like, just kind of being tired of that whole scene. Right. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's Kaepernick fatigue. Maybe that's, maybe they see, like, a, a Kaepernick-esque figure in, in Josh Rosen, just in the sense that, like, hey, listen, he's not going to fall in line. He's going to have his beliefs, etc. Um... What do you like? What do you think? Do you think that's always been sort of a attention, or is that something pretty new? Because that seems pretty new to me. Like where executives are this against a kid, just you know, being intelligent and having opinions. I've always kind of seen the NFL and football having a very, a very similar mentality to like the military, where it's like you fall in line, you do your job. We're going to war for each other. Nothing matters more than that. It's about we, not about me. Yeah. Um, So I don't know if anything is new about that. I do think that the focus on keeping things non-political has been more of an emphasis since Trump got elected. Just because 
the country has never has been as divided now as it ever has in my lifetime. Right. You know, I, I can't comment on how it was like years ago because I just wasn't there. But right now, it's incredibly divisive. And if you say anything, like you can't have an opinion on anything without out of being political. Like if I said, what do you call it? Like if I said, oh, you know what? I I think Starbucks makes a pretty good cup of coffee. Oh really? Well, you hear about yeah. what happened? You hear how how they uh they arrested some black guys for being there? Yeah. Hey, hey man, I'm just talking about some fucking coffee. Yeah, I mean everything's tied to that. Uh, he even went out of his way in one of these interviews the other day and was like, "Look, well, politics is a different story. Um, I I am not political. Like he, you know, he's trying to get those talking points out there. Even as Josh Rosen, who's supposedly like in this scene." Um, you saw with this Kanye thing, like, oh, he, he can have this, like, crazy series of tweets over a week time that aren't really coherent, and we're all kind of like, oh, Kanye being Kanye, and then he drops the Trump thing, and everyone's like, ooh, nah. Right. How have you been consuming the Kanye thing? Because, like, it, it's it's been weird for me how, like, people were still, like, early on when he was tweeting, people were, like, were buying everything he's saying is like, yeah, Kanye's the thinker of the people. He did it. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, now that, it's kind of like, all right, let's write like a few thousand words in a think piece on why Kanye, we should never listen to him again. Right. But it's almost like, I don't know how, like, I just don't know how you can take anything he says seriously because it's all contradictory. Well, that's the thing, right? Like he... I, I, the one thing I was a little bit surprised about, I thought he was just going to drop in, just in the con- in the micro context of these, the, these tweets this week, I thought he was going to drop in, you know, he dropped in a Trump thing, I thought, you know, maybe drop in another Trump tweet and then he'd move on to some other, like, you know, I don't know, talking about bag design or some shit. Right. Um, or some part of the creative process or something. But he just, he kept doubling down, doubling down, doubling down to the point where it's like, you know, and, and, and we can maybe talk about, like, the, the mental health aspect of this on the other side, but, like, it seemed pretty clear to me that, like, Kanye was very aware of what he was doing with this. Like, it, it seemed, it didn't seem as, I guess, reckless as a lot of other people made it out to be, just in the sense that, like, Kanye has always been a troll, whether it be on a small scale or a big scale. Right. Now, I, I understand why it's dangerous to like use this type of a platform when you have millions and millions of followers and, and you know, whatever your views on Trump, like that is a strong take. Um, but like, I, you know, are I, I, at some point, like, are we, are we not aware of like past, like past Kanye, people keep trying to make this dichotomy of like, Oh man, I miss old Kanye versus new Kanye. I don't see too big of a difference. Like it wouldn't have shocked me too much if, if old Kanye went on this storm either, just, you know, we'll hear something different in a few months. Right. You, you talk about that, like, people try and say the dichotomy of, like, Kanye used to be incredible and everything he said was fantastic. And it pretty much just rests on the laurels of a few skits that he put on College Dropout and that one clip where, like, during the Katrina thing where he said George Bush does not care about black people. Yeah, and the MTV interview. What was the, M- the MTV the, one? The interview, the interview where he was basically like, um, "Listen, man, like the um, LGBT has been the opposite of hip hop for so long, and we need to change that." Oh, I actually, I never seen that. Really? Yeah. So that that's been kind of floating around as like a reply to a lot of these, where like people are like, "Oh, like I miss old Kanye when he was pro LGBT and all this stuff." 
you know, and then you get a bunch of replies, well, why is being pro-Trump not pro-LGBT and all this, right? But, um, yeah, it's like this clip with, um, I can't remember, one of those, like, mid-2000s MTV interviewers, I can't remember who, um, where he's basically like, yeah, man, like, I used to be like this, too, because people um, used to, like, call me gay in high school and all this. And, and like, this has always been a huge problem for the hip-hop industry, and we need to change that. So there's that interview that every, that everyone's been pointing to as well. Um, but, like, there are so many public comments, whether it be before Twitter or now in the Twitter era. Um, like, if Twitter was around for early to mid-2000s, Kanye, we talk about pulling up old tweets from, or, you know, let's talk about middle school or high school Kanye tweets. We're talking about pulling up old tweets from, from Josh Allen or Dante DiFincenzo. You, you want to know what those would look like? Like, they, they're not they're not falling in line with anything PC on those either. Right. Well, it's just like, I almost, like, with Kanye, it's always been, I, I've never felt that you can just make a blanket statement about he has been very liberal, he's been very conservative, he's been very good, bad, or whatever. Like, he he makes so many wild points that, I mean, a lot of them are fantastic and points that people are not making. Like, I look back at Yeezus, the the uh, the build-up to that, and he was pointing out casual racism from liberal white people back then. Yeah. And people were pretty mad at him. They were just saying, oh, you're whining because Louis Vuitton won't let you design shoes. You're being a big baby. That's not real racism. And then Jordan Peele comes out with Get Out, which is basically the exact same subject, but is a little less antagonistic towards white people. And suddenly everyone loves it and everyone's ready for it in 2018 in the way they weren't in 2013. Um, at the same time, I'm not, I still don't think that, like, I don't think that we're going to look back at Kanye supporting Trump in five years and be thinking like, well, people just weren't ready for that. We weren't ready because it wasn't good. Um, but even back then he was still like Kanye's always had this dichotomy of wanting to be a good person, but then also wanting the power and the access to power that comes with capitalism. Well, absolutely. And, and, but also like, I, I think a huge part of this is like, and this is, this I think often goes more hand in hand with narcissism than we care to admit, like individuality, which is something that we theoretically like love in America and love in creative circles and all this. Um, is something that, like, Kanye, I, th- I feel like, just, like, needs. Like, he cannot be in line with anything that is seen as any way popular with those around him. Right. And, of course, like, there's plenty of people, clearly, based on the election, that are into Trumpism and all of this. So it's clearly, like, that's also a popular take. But it's not a popular take with those in his inner circle, with those that he's interacting with, with those that he's hearing from and seeing regularly. You know what I mean? Right. And so, like, I almost wonder if that really is what it boils down to. It's just this idea. It's like, man, like, this seems like almost just like a a, 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 a unilateral belief on this side of culture, on the creative side of culture, whatever you want to call it, that Trump is a monster. Having anything positive to say about him is wrong. And whether or not Kanye believes in Trump or not, I think part of it might just be like he's like, listen, man, like, I'm not going with the flow now, which means I'm going to be with Trump, which is super dangerous to like have that be your, your barometer, which is like, I'm just going to go against whatever anyone else thinks. Right. Um, but I've always thought that that's at least a little bit of what Kanye is. Right. Well, also you, you talk about the narcissism. Kanye has always been an artist that has felt the need to constantly reinvent himself. 
as an artist. And it feels a lot like that's bled into him as a person. He's constantly reinventing himself as a person. And I don't necessarily know that it's... He's, he's just trending... He's becoming more and more evil. I mean... It, I mean, I think the studies kind of show that, like, you accrue more and more wealth, you're more likely to vote Republican. Right. That's just, it's going to happen. He, you know, maybe he did get red-pilled. I don't know. But I think a lot of it is just Kanye is just in a different headspace. He keeps trying to recreate who he is. And I can see why he would relate to someone like Trump. Someone who's kind of unhinged. You don't know what he's going to say. Um, I don't know that what's been uncomfortable for me is that I could in a vacuum I don't you know whatever if Kanye is saying all this shit I don't care like at the end of the day I generally don't care about the politics of the artists I support yeah. it'd be nice if they felt the same way and to a certain extent I'm gonna want to have a similar point of view if I'm gonna buy into their music as much but where I have the problem is that now he's being co-opted by the alt-right I mean, forget Trump co-opting him, but like Alex Jones is retweeting him. Charlie Kirk is retweeting him and saying how Kanye is now like the voice of a generation. Well, these memes, like he had that one tweet where he's talking about the dragon blood or whatever. Like we both have dragon blood. And now you get the, these, you know, they're both dragons on like a massive, you know, as, as old right as it gets, you know. Right. I mean, you can use a dragon and Trump like you that know, and Kanye. Why not? Exactly. I just. At what point? At what point does he? Because the natural comparison <clears throat> that I go to with what's happening with Kanye is Morrissey. Oh my God! Don't. Oh no. But 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 at what point do we make those direct comparisons? Like, <sighs> it's not that different from the Morrissey saga, is it? <sighs> oh my God! <laughs> this is too on the nose. Because Morrissey is like, uh, you and I are both huge Smiths fans, but I like, Morrissey has reached a level of insufferable that I didn't think was possible. Because Morrissey always had the militant veganism with comparisons, you know, to slaughtering animals to the Holocaust and things like that, which are atrocious. But in more recent years, he's tied it to like direct politics as well. Right. Um, He's been pro-Brexit. He's he's been like anti-globalism in ways that like are at times vaguely, at times like less than vague and like more openly racist. Right. Um. Which you know, I, there are obviously differences between these two dudes, but at least with Morrissey, like I, you know, I I've had this this big dilemma. Like, how do you separate the artist and the art? And this has been something that's been true for people that have like actually done like horrific things as well, other than had horrific ideas, like things, you know, people who have been outed during the Me Too movement and things of that nature. Um, you know, how do we separate certain people's art from the monster that they are or whatever? And I'm not here to suggest that like, you know, being accused of sexual misconduct is the same as having a bad take. Right. But, you know, you would like for our, our heroes or our, stars or just people whose music we like um like you say you know to to fall they don't need to fall in line with our politics but to like not be scumbags about the things that they say right well it's like i think that we hold kanye to a bit of a higher standard when it comes to that because um i mean two points first of all you're, you're spot on with morrissey like he being like a militant vegan or whatever 
Um, and I think a lot of it is, I think people are really cool with overly political folks as long as the politics fall in line with their politics. Yeah. So all the super liberal people, even if they weren't as on board with veganism as Morrissey was, they appreciated how about that life he was. They appreciated that he stood for something. But now that he's standing for something they don't like, they aren't fucking with it as much. Um, at the same yeah. time, even like I feel like we hold, um, I feel like we hold minorities to a higher standard of wokeness than we do white people, mm. because even though Morrissey, he, he's never come out as like gay or whatever, but we know that he's at least like queer. I I don't want to like be assigning labels to people because I don't think he's come out with one, but mm -hmm. he's he's not straight. But even within that. You know, you look at it and like, if you just see a picture of him and you see him talk, you're just like, all right, that's an old white guy. And you're not as surprised when you see an old white guy talking like that. But when you see a minority doing that, when you see a minority supporting Trump, it's just like, all right, you, you know, man, like he built his whole campaign by attacking people who look like you. And so that's where I feel a lot of the confusion and disappointment with Kanye is. Yeah, good in interesting, like like Morrissey could be the the racist uncle that shows up for Thanksgiving, whereas Kanye has like always been like your guy, like you know, when like on your side for a lot of these things. I get that um, for sure, and and also like another thing is Morrissey hasn't really been relevant as far as the work that he's made in like three decades, right? Um, and Kanye is relevant almost every year from a from a creative standpoint, right? Um, which which also kind of muddies all this, and the fact that you know coming up like in months he's got the two albums coming out, and I do wonder like like if that if that solo album that he's got coming out is just fire is amazing, people are gonna probably forget all of this unless he hammers home more and more. Like if this becomes a weekly thing, if he's hanging out at the White House, you know, like that's the one thing I wonder going forward in the next few months is like how far is he gonna go with this? Right, um, and I would say honestly, like maybe this is bad. But as long as he just releases the album and there's no silliness with it, I would have less of a problem with this album rollout than I did with the Pablo rollout. Because that was, that infuriated me. The fact that he literally gave us an unfinished album. Yeah. yeah I mean, but again, that, that just kind of goes along with the trolling brand. Right. Um... um. I mean, I, it's just going to be fun when all of us go to our respective, uh, I don't know, Thanksgivings, Christmas dinners, whatever, have relatives we haven't seen in a while who, uh, you know, maybe sometimes have questionable takes and they show up with, like, Kanye gear. They're showing up with Yeezys, you know? Oh, my God. Race, race, Six-year-old racist uncle's showing up with Yeezys. Oh, my God. They're going to have Yeezys, like, a way-too-big polo shirt and a MAGA hat. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. And you know what, like, do you think that, like, maybe that's, like, been part of the fallout with Jay-Z? Is that Jay-Z's getting more and more liberal and Kanye's becoming more and more something? Yeah, that could be. Um, that could be. And I, I don't know, like, both... It's funny, because even, even, like, Jay-Z has been, like, off-putting to people in his own way, too. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. This is, this is going to be, like, a wild next... Just having Kanye back deep in the Twitter scene alone means that, you know, every day, like, pop culture people are going to have, like, massive overly thought think pieces about this. Right. 
Um, and I think most of it doesn't have much meaning unless, like I said, the dude just takes this like 10 steps further and actually like, you know, becomes boys with Trump and is chilling with him and all this, which, you know, I would not put past him. Right. Um, but I think it's like you said, I think it's all going to come down to how good is the music? If, if that solo album he puts out is hot, if that Cuddy collaborative album he puts out is hot, if that Pusha T and or Nas album is hot, like if all those are great, I'm, I don't give a shit about any of this. No, and, and I think that is an opinion shared by the vast majority of people in this country. Right. Um, and part of that is just a short news cycle, right? Like, so if he's if he's tweeting about this the same day, like if that album dropped yesterday and he's tweeting about that, I, I think this becomes a much more interesting situation, right? Where everyone's like, what do we do? Right. Because this album is dope and these tweets are not. And how do you, how do you like, bifurcate those two things? But... Two months, three months, whatever. Like people are gonna forget about this if he doesn't do more of it. Right. Uh, before we go, one last thing. What would you set if you're if you're working for Vegas? What are you setting the over under at for number of times the word Trump is said on the new album? Remember, it's seven uh, songs. So. Part of this issue, like zero, is a is a distinct possibility. Um, I I feel like there's going to be one track though that blows that over way open. I feel like there's going to be one track where he's just dropping. Like he could have he could have a, a track like, not like an ode to Trump, but like a, a track like devoted to this whole thing. Um, so I put it at like two. Okay, I I think two is fair. I, I'd go two and a half. Yeah. Um, but man, like, I I also like, I wonder because he all he also um, was it who tweeted this out? We can cut this potentially. Um, there was someone else, some other rapper that basically like tweeted out like, um, uh, was it Chance? It was Chance. It was Chance. Like, oh, the Democratic Party isn't the only party for black people. Something like that, right? Right, yeah. Um, so that that's the only other thing, like, I'm eyeing is if this becomes a, oh, like, Kanye is the leader on this and this becomes a movement in the hip-hop community. I don't think that'll happen. Right. But maybe something to eye. I don't know. I don't know. Chance is always... It sucks because, like, it, it bothers me more from Chance because, like, he's positioned himself... As the woke social justice guy, always advocating for black people in like South Side of Chicago, yeah. um, and now he's he's doing this like he making songs with R. Kelly last year. He, um, I honestly, ever since he, I read the story about him forcing MTV to take down the story that wasn't a hundred percent kind to him. I've it's really negatively painted my view of him. Yeah, so that could just be more a uh, more a chance thing than than anything. Right. Uh, hopefully, right, it's not a thing. But uh, peace.